podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Yay! Oh, that's the best way of the season, I think, so far. Wonderful. Uh, it's Pod 413. I'm Jim Daly, and joining me to talk about Palace's one all draw with Brighton, which feels like something we say quite a lot of the time, um, it's Jack Pierce. Hello to you. Hi, JD. Yep. All good. Uh, yeah, feeling. Uh... Oh, sorry, I preempted the how are you there. Sorry, that was very, very <laughs> robotic. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I feel feel good. Um, always where I just said uh, pre going live here, the, the Friday night fix is always. Uh, I, I quite like them, but there's always the risk that that could uh, colour your weekend the wrong way. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the uh, for the draw being uh, the the. Enough of a, of a positive result to, to not ruin the Saturday and the Sunday that followed. It's amazing how much Palace dictates our mood, isn't it? It's depressing, really, in many ways, but that is too why much, we're here. Too, too, too much, I'm told by someone very close to me, but, um, <laughs> but I, I dispute it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure someone who would dispute that as well is Mr. John Curran, JC. How are you? I'm okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I feel okay-ish. I, 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 the few things I'm not quite sure about. Uh, Jesse was on the podcast a couple of sessions ago with Jack and Joe and yourself. And all of a sudden this thing called the J team was invented. And <laughs> I've been part of it and never once was part of the J team. So I'm officially, I'm, I'm J team league two. <laughs> you are. Yeah, you are. You're the Martin Kelly of the J team. I, I'm the Martin Kelly of the J. But yeah, so thanks for that. <laughs> well, this is another J team episode. We've got a lot of J's in the pod squad, haven't we, this season, which is great. So there you go, JC. You're officially part of the J team now. It has happened. It's official. Thank you. Thank you. Um, something else that's official is our patrons. So can we get a, that's a terrible link, a drum roll for a random patron I've run into? Mr. Duncan Ellis. Hey, Duncan. Hello, Duncan. Hello, Duncan. Absolute legend, Duncan. One of our patron, long-time patrons. Uh, and you can join our patron like Duncan and get all the rewards like post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, uh, which went out uh, last month. They were FYP typical Palace bobble hats, which is very nice. Um, and access to the patron-only Discord club at patron.com forward slash FYP podcast. Uh, we do have lines of merchandise for everyone available, but patron, all patrons get an immediate 20% off and you can, anyone can buy that at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. Um, if I'm allowed to do a quick uh, little bit of uh, comedy admin, uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking about my Vault show in London on 26th January. It got cancelled. I don't know if I mentioned that, um, but I've very fortunately been rehoused uh, at the Museum of Comedy. Uh, in central London for March, 24th of March, which is a Thursday at 7pm. Um, it's a 
much bigger venue than the previous one. So if anyone was thinking about coming, <laughs> please do buy a ticket. And uh, I'd love to see you there. Um, it's, a, it's a fun show and it'll be a good night. It's a lovely, lovely venue as well. Um, so if you go to jimdailycomedy.com slash gigs, you can buy a ticket there. I'm also, if anyone happens to live in the Midlands, I'm doing a show at the Leicester Comedy Festival on February the 19th. That's Saturday at 4.15pm. Also doing my solo show there. Um, I feel like that's a harder place for me to sell tickets. I don't think I was well known in the Midlands. So if you do live near Leicester, uh, again, jimdailycomedy.com slash gigs, uh, please do come along. Uh, the, the London one is eight quid. The Leicester one is free slash pay what you want. This is what happens when you live in London. The, the, the London tariff, unfortunately, just adds money to things. But please do come along to either if you happen to be local. It'll be lovely to see you there. Oh, and I will say the show is heavily Palace based. A lot of Palace content. So I hope if that doesn't sway you, nothing will. Uh, and, and wear a Palace shirt in the, in the, sh- in the crowd. Why not? Uh, right. Before we move on to this week's episode, um, JC, I believe you had wanted to tell an anecdote about a Palace legend who unfortunately passed away this week, Paul Hinchelwood, um, who made 319 appearances for Palace, uh, passed away. And uh, I believe you got a you got a personal anecdote about, about Paul. Yeah, when I heard when I heard he passed away, um, it, it kind of reminded me he was the first ever Palace player I met and also the first ever professional football player I met. And I was um, at junior school at Rosendale which was uh, near Brockwell Park. Uh, and he came to visit, as a Palace player, the football team to talk about tactics and give us some kind of encouragement. Uh, and I was goalkeeper. Um, Selzy will be happy about that. Um, I was also South London goalkeeper. So Selzy should be double happy about that. And um, we had 45 minutes of his time. And I just remember it, you know, how old was I? 10 years old. Um, and just being in awe of his, uh, just his presence, knowing that this guy was, and then we had tickets and he gave us tickets and we went to go and see him play. So I can't remember against who, but um, I remember I was wearing my Admiral Crystal Palace top Amazing. when he was giving us the thing and he signed it for me. So um, I just thought it's worth worth remembering those moments. Uh, that's a lovely story. Fantastic. Well, I, unfortunately, he was only 65, which is no age at all. So everyone at FYP, of course, passes on their condolences to uh, to Paul's family. And, of course, a member of the team of the 80s as well. So uh, a much-loved uh, member of uh, of the Palace family, indeed. Um, let's move on to talk about Palace's one-all draw with Brighton, Jack. Um, quite a lot to talk about. Quite a fair few incidents. Um do you know what? Let's just go straight in with some of those incidents. Let, let's talk about the uh, the minute or so where Palace had a penalty given against them. The penalty was saved by Jack Butland, arguably Palace's man of the match on the night. Brighton scored from the resulting corner. Then that goal is disallowed for a foul on Butland by Neil Mopay as Butland seemed to have the ball in his hands. Um, correct decisions by VAR there. VAR doing us a favour, surely. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yes. Uh, no, no argument here in terms of Jack Butland being man of the match, and we'll, we'll get to Super Jackie Butland uh, as he was being <laughs> serenaded uh, soon. But um, a special mention to Robert Jones, the referee. I think it's probably the quickest uh, succession of two clear and obvious errors having to be corrected by the video <laughs> assistant referee this season. I, I calculated less than fifteen seconds in terms of the ball actually being live between the two mistakes. Um, so. Pretty impressive from from Mr. Jones um, uh, there. Um, I was at the time I was I was fairly annoyed. Um, uh, the penalty I felt it was very soft. 
Um, but actually, when you see the replay and you see the the arm round the neck as well as the other arm round um, the midriff of of the Brighton player, you, you can't really argue with it. And actually, uh, uh, having listened to Jack Butland's post match interview, he he actually says that Will Hughes thanked him for for getting him out of a hole there. So if if Will Hughes thinks it's a penalty, then then I guess we should probably all think it's a penalty too. And VAR got it right. If that was if that was on a Palace player, I'd be screaming that that's a penalty. So yeah, awful penalty. Yeah. Um, uh, Pascal Gross. Um, I don't know what he was thinking, um, but he he apparently has a very good record. But the the one penalty I do remember him scoring, uh, sorry taking, was at West Brom last season. He missed that one. So I must just <laughs> see the ones that he he misses. I must watch more Brighton matches if that's the case. Um, but um, yeah, that that kind of led to the corner. And then, you know, the header comes in. And, and at the time, I felt uh, quite comfortable um, that that was, um, that was going to be disallowed because I just felt Butland clearly had control of the ball. But then you start to worry about the uh, extent that they're going to slow it down. And if the ball was marginally yeah. out of Butland's hands at the moment that Mope makes contact with it, you start to panic as to whether it's going to be overturned. But um, again, Butland was fairly confident that that, that was not going to stand, and um, and and pleasingly it was overturned. Particularly pleasingly, given it was Neil Mope who I just just, <laughs> yeah, just something about that guy. Um, in fact, I spent the weekend and um, texting with uh, two very good friends of mine, kind of um, upping the ante in terms of who is the the whingiest um, film. Well, you can fill your word in there if you want to. Uh, in the Premier League, and it started with Mope, and then it's kind of gone through different players. But I think Mope is a certain contender for that. Um, but anyway, back back to the um, disallowed uh, disallowed goal. I think it was right to be disallowed, and again, VAR VAR doing its job there. But yeah, um, I, I think uh, it, it just embodied um, a rather lacklustre first half for having such a chaotic um, a chaotic minute or so, and I think just summed up the whole maybe getting out of there with a point was very fortuitous for Palace. And those two incidents kind of contribute to that that feeling, I think. Yeah, I think it probably are worth the performance of the season, to be honest. We'll come on to. Let's go to resident goalkeeping expert, uh, John Curran, for that. Um, no, no, sales, sales, sales will be furious. <laughs> today, 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 today. today. Um, I will say, JC, we get obviously lots of questions each week. And whenever there's a VAR decision, we get loads of people asking about VAR. We've not had one question this week about VAR, which I think is an indication to uh, where most people think uh, VAR was supportive for us. And actually, VAR's been pretty good to us this season. And even the match we didn't have VAR against Millwall, if we had it, the goal would have been disallowed. So we've been pretty lucky when it comes to the technology or lack um, thereof. But let's get your thoughts on uh, on that, uh, that disallowed goal. Because I think Jack's right. You could be really worried that they were going to slow it down enough and then say, well, this particular split second shows him not having it. But even the fact he moved towards Mope, he had his two hands on the ball. And the law has changed this season, that as long as you've got pressure, I don't know the wording, but as long as you've got a pressure on the ball of some sort, because uh, there was a Casper Smarker one earlier in the season, he only had one hand on the ball, but he sort of pressed it into the floor. So as long as you have it, then um, it doesn't matter what happens. And to be honest, it looked like, even if they hadn't uh, said that he had it in his hands and that uh, Mope's foot was clearly leaning towards it. It looked like it hit Mope's arm anyway. So even if they didn't say it wasn't a foul, then I think it would have been handball. But what was your thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah, I, I was actually watching the game from home with uh, Laurie Dahl and we were so, just as, so intense was the experience that he had a glass of water and I had a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> so that, that, that's, the, 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 the moment I saw the incident, I, I, I thought it was a foul, not because I was protecting 
a Palace goalkeeper, but you could just see by the movement that it was secure quite quickly. Um, so I didn't feel that nervous about the decision, the VAR, in that way. So yeah, I mean, but it was it was a fine stop. You know, he had he had control of the ball, and Mope knocked into him. Fa- you know, fairly. I mean, no, I don't think Mope did anything untoward, yeah. but it 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 was. It was a foul. Um, I think Jack's point about the, the uh, you know, the referee actually was parachuted in in the last minute, um, you know, so not much prep time for him. And actually, I thought by and large, he handled that whole situation very well in a, in a kind of atmosphere that could easily spark at any moment due to the rivalry. So that was quite good to see as well. And as, this, as you said, Jim, VAR not being an issue, doing its job and the referee actually not, pissing about and making the decisions quite quickly and let the game carry on. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely a foul. Good, good. I think that's the first time we've all been in agreement on everything on the podcast this season. So that's lovely. JD, it did, it did take me back to the um, atrocious half of football we played there a few years ago where there was a lot of drama in a 30-second period where I think it was Shane Duffy got sent off the yes. head-busting Patrick Von Arnholt. And then um, I think the, the guy that they sent on to come on at centre-half literally walked onto a, a corner and made it 2-0 in front of a he stump didn't, He didn't end. break his stride. He, just he literally off. walked on. <laughs> he didn't break his stride until he slid towards the corner flag. And I, I, that was one of, the more, one of the more perplexing moments in my Palace supporting time. Um, but it did have that moment of, or, or that, that, that reminder of, of a crazy, um, a crazy minute. But yeah, I, I, I just so relieved to get to half-time 0-0, to be honest, at that point. I, 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 that's the best we could have hoped for. Um, so when we did get to the, the break, goalless so I really couldn't believe our luck yeah yeah it did feel it did feel a bit lucky and, and Palace's performance wasn't the best we've had a few questions about that I'll come on to let's just talk about Jack Butland though who obviously saved that penalty and um I mean really Jack was as you say man of the match earlier Gareth Richards aka Hi, Gareth, Gareth from California hello Gareth hey, Gareth Hi, from Gareth. California lovely um says uh saving pens the goalkeeper's thing Butland is growing on me you too Obviously, he made up for last week against Millwall with that sort of uh, big mistake that led to the Millwall goal. And he's more than made up for that this week. Uh, and in fact, I'll chuck you another question as well. And JC, I'll chuck you these two as well. PC Wise adds on to that. Hello, PC. Hi, PC. And says, uh, does Guayita walk straight back into the starting eleven next week? Well, Jack, there you go. Is Butland growing on you? And uh, where does it leave uh, Vinny? A short answer to the second one is Vinny does come straight back into the team as soon as he's ready to. Uh, you know, he was on the bench the other day, so you think... Um, he, he's certainly on on route to coming back into the team sooner rather than later. May well be this uh, this Sunday against Liverpool, but we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, when when he's fit and firing, he he certainly would be my number one still. Jack Butland didn't really need to grow on me. I I, I actually wrote for FYP um, last October, I think it was when he came in, um, that I felt it was a good piece of business for Palace to do. I, I think there's a very good goalkeeper in Jack Butland. I think he showed it at Birmingham City uh, when he came through. Uh, initially at Stoke, uh, and then he had a, a significant wobble um, towards the end of his time at Stoke, to the point where he lost his first team place, lost his confidence, um, and I think it, it kind of uh, put on the record himself he felt it was the right thing for him to be dropped. That's that's kind of the degree that his confidence dropped. But that said, we we got a goalkeeper who's on his day a very very good Premier League goalkeeper for a million pounds. When within a you know a year eighteen months of that. When, when Stoke were being um, looked at as likely relegation candidates, he was having you know, figures of 20, 25 million being banded around. So I think 
um, there, there's a very good goalkeeper in that. It's taken time for him to get one, get his opportunity, but two, within that time, probably rebuild his confidence. Um, yes, he had that wobble at uh, Millwall. We talked about that last week. He was, you know, certainly at fault. Um, but in terms of his shot stopping, his command of his area, I've, I felt demonstrated, you know, that he's back to, to where he needs to be in the Millwall game. And against Brighton, in terms of his shot stopping, command of the area, I thought he was absolutely excellent. That it's funny actually the penalty save, which which obviously does get a lot of the headlines. I think of his three standout saves was probably the, the easiest and weakest yeah. of the saves. Yeah. Um. The the save from Trossard in the first ten minutes was absolutely superb. Yeah. Um. That's that's a really top quality piece of goalkeeping to to kind of make yourself that big and to have the strength to to make that save. And then the save in the second half from Moda, um, perhaps not as good as as Spironi's save in the playoff, but in again in the same. Uh, end of the pitch, um, similar kind of reflex required, Um, you know, just shows that there's a very good goalkeeper there. He's kicking, let's maybe not talk about his kicking. I thought there were some um, elements of the game where we were very quickly in danger because of his uh, distribution. Um, And and that's certainly an area that that Vieira and the coaching staff, Dean Kiley, will will want to work with him further on. But for for a, a deputy to come in, in a in a derby, which I think is only his third league start. Happy to be correct on that, but I think that's his third league start for Palace. Um, I thought it was a, a very very good performance, and um, he he certainly earned the adulation of the Palace faithful. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and I think that was well earned. Um, JC, uh, is it is Butland growing on you as well? It's nice to have a sort of a really solid deputy, isn't it, behind PG? Yeah, I, I was delighted when we did get Butland, even though he had, you know, confidence issues previously and, you know, his beloved Stoke got relegated. I think Butland was crying on the final day oh, wow. on the pitch, you know, where, where, when they got relegated. So, you know, he's a man who has a big heart, um, you know, had been in the England set up and then basically kind of, you know, fell off the edge. So to see that confidence and also to see him play uh, against Millwall and made that mistake. And th- those type of mistakes are howlers, right? And a goalkeeper, a goalkeeper's, all goalkeepers will make a howler. A bad goalkeeper is the type of goalkeeper who gets the little stuff wrong. And a good example of that would be Wayne Hennessy, positioning, these type of things. And that yeah. loses games. But you do, you can't really put your finger on it. And that's the difficulty, right? Oh, should he have saved it? Should he have not have saved it? Is a classic Wayne Hennessy debate where a howler every keeper will make a howler now and then what was brilliant about Jack Butland was how he came back from it another high tense game which is Brighton and uh was absolutely superb I mean it was it was was actually a world-class performance I think that we should we shouldn't try and beat around the bush it was a very very good performance um I think also I mean I agree also that Guaita will should be playing against Liverpool if he's fit um Guaita has been extremely tidy this season um, and Guaita's kicking and distribution has improved a lot this season. I've always thought that that's been his weakness um, and it's been much better. What's quite interesting though, I can't really think of a fantastic save Guaita's made recently, not because he's let goals in, just he hasn't had to make fantastic saves. And I'm wondering if that's because he's had Czech Kiate in front there's been that powerful barrier where there haven't been consistent shots that we've seen Butland having to experience, say, against Brighton. So it's, it, it was, it, you know, Butland hasn't had that wall 
that Guaita has had, and he's done really well to can almost be that last line of defence. Um, so it is. It, it's also very good to have competition, and Guaita will know this now. Guaita is thirty five years old. Um, you know, if he picks up an injury, does it take longer to heal? Because you are older, yeah. um, and it's, so it's going to be quite interesting. So it's it, it is nice to have that safety thing. I don't think it's an either or. I think if Guaita was to make a howler, we shouldn't be then going, "Oh my God, why aren't we playing Jack Butland?" Because it's a howler. But if there's you know the persistent little things that are the drop catches, uh, the bad punches out, if these things creep in, then you're looking at where you know is a change. But Guaita will be number one every day at the moment. Yeah. We talk about this with strikers and stuff, but you, you hope the healthy competition sort of brings the best out of the players. And uh, I'd imagine that's probably the same in most positions. Goalkeeper is a, is a very confidence-based position, isn't it? Much like strikers, really. So you hope that would bring the best out of out of both of them. But 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 Butland was excellent. And uh, it's nice to be talking uh, talking about him in positive light after uh, after last week, obviously. Not that he was bad against Millwall, but there was that mistake. No, but and, and he has, you know, regardless of what happens with the Liverpool game, it's... It, it, it's to be expected that he'll have the gloves for the Hartlepool Cup game. Yeah. So his next game is not too far down the line if he's not to be uh, retained for the Liverpool game. Um, and I think that the key is to see, and this is positive, you know, for Vinny to see from the bench that his um, deputies had such a good game is a good thing for the club in that I'm sure Vinny appreciates that Jack Butland's a very good goalkeeper, sees it every day in training. But now Vinny and the club and the coaching staff have seen Jack Butland display in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Butland and the two centre-halves were our three best players by a million miles on on, on Friday night. Um, and, and probably at this point, give credit to uh, Anderson and, and Gay. I thought Anderson was very unlucky um, mm. to have his have, have his name uh, to the equaliser because that's just a you know last-ditch bit of defending. And, and really, the, the hard work's done by Mope against Ward. And then, you know, the defenders find themselves there. But I thought Anderson and Gay were were excellent. And um, as, a, as a trio, they provided a, a very firm um, kind of quarter defensive um, approach for that game. But, yeah, I, I, I think in terms of number number twos, um, Butland has got to be probably one of the better ones in the league right now. You can't say in terms of number twos on this podcast chat. Someone's going to pick terrible. you up on that. Yeah, I sorry, appreciate man. that. Yeah. Sounded terrible. Yeah, but let's not call the pod that this week. That, I, I'm okay. used to being a number two on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, we won't call it that. Only if you guys can come up with a better pun half the rest of the episode somehow. So no pressure. In terms of number twos, yeah, <laughs> it's not great. Um, we will come on and talk about Gallagher's superb team goal. I think we're going to save it for part three. So a few questions about it. So let's wrap up this part, JC. I'm just talking about the performance in general, because it was a third year in a row that Palace had gone to the Amex and not really turned up. And yet, weirdly, the record shows two wins and a draw, seven points from those games. So um, there's something weird about, and that's under two different managers, going to the Amex and for some reason not. And that is also games that have had fans in and haven't had fans in. Like There seems to be a very weird pattern gareth davies one of our listeners hi gareth has said i go um why don't we seem to be able to show up in quote marks at the amex too much pressure what do you think jc what uh, is it simply a case of it was a, an off day for palace and it was in the previous two games is there more to it did Vieira get it wrong with the approach i mm. mean spoon spoon bill mccumpty who we know is one of our uh, one of our favourite listeners of that name said it was a very Hodgson performance. Went there not to lose. What was your assessment of the of the performance of Palace? Because it was it it wasn't yeah. it wasn't brilliant, was it? 
I, I, I don't actually think it was a Hodge Hodgson style performance. I think we were we were pretty terrible actually. I, I don't I, I don't think we did set up for. I don't think we set up for anything. Um, and I think if we look back on it, it, it was before the game. Then the team selection was completely wrong. For the second game in a row, we've had a front three who've never played with each other as a front three for the second game in a row. We've had a midfield without an anchor person, an anchor man, um, which uh, first half against Millwall, we were out, you know, overrun in midfield. And for 90 minutes against Brighton, the midfield was picked apart until Luca came on. So I think, I think that there was, there's definitely a, a issue there around the team selection um, that, that caused the, caused caused the problem. Brighton would Brighton are a very, very good team and yeah. they would have been on us anyway, regardless if Zaha was there, regardless if Ayu was there, and regardless if Cheko was there, it would have still been a very high pressure type of game. But I think that Patrick Vieira definitely got this wrong. How, you know, we had a lot of under 23s in the team. I mean, on the one hand, that's an experiment. You can say that's, you know, let's see what that looks like, what that feels like, you know, with um, Mitchell being one of the most experienced players in the team. For yeah. Kat, you know, I mean, yeah. so so all the things were a bit weird and we came away with the point. So there's a massive learning curve there, which is fantastic. We should have lost that 4-5-0, Um but we didn't. But it was definitely issues around team selection, the balance of the team, not formation, but the balance of the team. That's one thing. The other thing that I'm I'm struggling with, and I'm going to say something that's quite controversial here. Um, we with Ward, we know what we'll get from Ward, right? We'll get this ultimate professionalism we saw with the goal and stuff like that. But that this is where we are with Ward. He's an old style. He's a kind of Seamus Coleman, if you know, mold of of, of fullback. It, it's a kind of, I dare say, it's almost like a slightly outdated style of fullback. I'm so Elise is quite exposed, and Elise actually, I thought, although he hardly had the ball in the first half, he was our best player. And that says quite a lot, right? Because he is so competent on the ball. His passes, his vision, everything about he's he's so out of his, you know, his experience is incredible compared to say. I'm having trouble a little bit with Mitchell. Oh. So how we reference Mitchell and how good he is is through his defensive work. I get that. On the ball, if he's on the halfway line or on the final third, his vision of pass is very good. His crossing is very good, but he's no real threat per se. So if you look at the teams like Brighton, Southampton, and a lot of these teams have got what I would call modern day fullbacks Mm -hmm. who we don't really talk about their defensive qualities because they just do. If we were to judge fullbacks on their defensive qualities, Juan Basaka and Mitchell would both be starting for England. You know, but that's that you can't just have that. There's something else. So I'm I'm feeling I need Mitchell to be more of a threat going forward. Um, Eze and Mitchell just look like two little rabbits in headlights. Eze and Zahar can work sometimes. Eze, you know, but there's not this kind of fast, rampant, overlapping fullback slash or wingback running across. 
I'm really missing PVA. I think if we had PVA in this setup now with Patrick Vieira, it would be a very, very scary attack we'd be having. At the moment, it doesn't feel like our, ta- our attacking formation is really working, even with Zahar in the team. So I'm, I'm talking there a bit about balance, yeah. and I'm kind of putting my head on the block in a way by thinking we need to talk more about Mitchell. We can't talk about just the defensive quality. If you were Selzy, you'd I... put your ball, balls on the block, which is basically the same sort of thing. Um, Jack, yeah. let us know what you're doing. Selzy can do that. Selzy can do that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think marauding forward comes naturally to Mitchell. I think he probably has learned his trade as a, a more defensive-minded left-back. But I think we've seen enough this season to see that it's a work in progress. Um, and, and that might be to do with the, the manager specifically. Clearly, the system suits the fullback going slightly further forward than it did under Roy. Um, but I think I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing enough, JC. I, I think there's um, enough progression this year to see that he will get it. But I do agree that to the degree it doesn't come naturally to him. He's not an, uh, a Leighton Baines uh, or Andy Robertson. The, the, no, the or Kyle Walker-Peters or a Lamperty. I mean, these are the, these are the co- comparisons Lam- I've got. I- but Lamptey plays as a, as a wing back, I think. I don't think Lamptey plays as a right back, and that's sure. That's, yeah, that's Brighton play three. Entirely. Brighton do play, they three play three at the back. Yeah. Whereas uh, if we did play three centre backs, I think you know that that criticism probably would be would be louder from more people in that he's you know he doesn't offer enough going forwards. When he's in that position, he 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 does offer the quality, I think, but. For me, sometimes he's just not there when I'm expecting a fullback in this system to be. Sometimes he's he perhaps hasn't naturally progressed up the pitch as, as quickly as as we would hope to. Um, and I, I don't really remember too many examples of him going beyond the left winger or the, the left of the three this season. Whereas obviously, you know, PBA, as you cite, he lived there. He paid rent in that part of the pitch. That's, yeah. that's where he loved to be. Um, I, I don't know if I'm yearning for PBA. I think probably my beats per minute are probably benefiting from... <laughs> from PVA being in, in Turkey, but I, I get what you're saying. And I think we've said on the pod many times a season, some competition at left back probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. And I know we've got, we've got options there. Um, I know there's high hopes for the, um, the left back coming through the system. Uh, Aaron Madola, um, apologies if I've got that pronunciation uh, horribly wrong, but I think there's high hopes for him, but then you are in a position where you have two left backs. One is 22 and one's 18 or 19. And, and that presents its own difficulties too in terms of of how much trust and, and faith there is in them. But you know, with with Ward playing at right back, the, the emphasis is on that on Mitchell to get forward in, yeah. in terms of providing that thrust from fullback. You're not going to get it with Joel, albeit he was you know a, a, a key component to that wonderful goal that we scored. But that's that's not going to happen every week, and and uh, doubt we'll see a, a, a run like that from him again this season. Um, and I think if you go back to the summer. If there was the extra 10, 15 million or Ferguson was fit, you know, Joel wouldn't be playing every week and there, there would be that balance. You know, Ferguson got 75 minutes in a very competitive uh, youth match yesterday, under 23s match against Chelsea. I think we'll see him in the Hartlepool game. Um, I, I hope we do. I, I can't think of many better um, opportunities for, a, for a, a, young, a young fullback coming back from long term injury to get first team minutes. Um, so I think we might see between now and the end of the season. Better balance in terms of the two fullbacks. I think Ferguson will get more minutes, um, and and Mitchell obviously is the first choice left back with, with very little competition. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Mitchell should Ferguson be more marauding. 
would then would he then revert to mm. being just a left back? It, it's going to be an interesting journey, and I think um, it's a key part of our team's development as as we go. Really, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing um, how how we develop because fullback is is an increasingly important um, mm. part of any team. You know, you've only got to see that Liverpool's two key play playmakers are the left and right back, and they play in a four. Um, yeah. So, you know that that may well be the uh, the, the model that Vieira looks to to use. Um, but it's all about having the right players in the right places. Um, it's, yeah, it's the same in Man City as well. They play a four across the back, and their fullbacks. I mean, Cancelo basically plays as a sort of right winger um, or a sort of inverted right winger. But they're so confident in their centre backs and their two centre backs to play two v two against uh, opposition teams that it's okay. And actually, we might get to a place where with our centre-backs, they're so good that we can do that, but we're not there yet. And I think it's risky for no, no, exactly. Palace to do that. And but I think it might for, be. Go on, JC. Oh, go on, JC. No, no, I think you're right. I think Ferguson, if Ferguson does, is this person we are hoping he is, that, that opens up a whole new chapter. Um, you know, and Ferguson, I mean, then we've got an extremely young we would have gone from kind of dad's army to kind of Ajax of, of, of youth, you know, in, in the team. So dad's army so to it, the young ones, to the young ones. Yeah. So there's something quite, there is something exciting there, but um, I think that there's a, there's a missing part of the jigsaw there somewhere with the, the fullback situation. Um, agreed. Um, uh, just to go back to your point about the experience of the team, by, by my reckoning, only two players of our starting eleven would have started at the Amex in that derby previously, being Joel Ward and Jeffrey Schlupp. And I'm not going to suggest that it's the most intimidating atmosphere and, and Brighton fans provide any sort of degree of threat. So it's not going to Galatasaray in 1995 or anything like that. But it is a different experience. It is heightened and, and you know, both sets of fans are, are very much up for it. So... It, it, in terms of that fixture particularly, it was quite an inexperienced 11. And actually, if you look at just breaking down to our front three, um, including substitute appearances, Elise, Eze, Elise, uh, sorry, Elise, Eze and Edouard, between them have only played 69 Premier League matches. And, and that's less than two seasons full Premier League experience across the three of them. And as I said, that includes substitute appearances as well. So that was a very inexperienced um, 11 that, that went there. Um, and I think you know, may, maybe in retrospect adding the experience of, of Luca and Benteke into the starting eleven might not have been a bad idea. Um but to get it, it find further illustrates the point really that to get out there with a point was a very good mm. thing and, and a point extra than, than perhaps we warranted. Absolutely. Um let's take a quick break. Uh we'll come back we will talk about uh that Gallagher goal of course. We'll take a quick break and come back after this. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. 
That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Fabri Pan Podcast. Hey! Sponsored by The Athletic, the home to the best collection of football writers, storytellers, and analysis in the world, from breaking club news to exclusive interviews to brilliant features and tactical analysis. The Athletic is football news you can trust and football writing you can feel. And you can get all access to exclusive stories ad-free. Go to theathletic.com slash FYP. That's theathletic.com slash FYP for 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's £30 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action. Uh, and we teased, obviously, in part one, we're going to talk about this Conor Gallagher team goal for Palace, and we're going to be using Dom Fifield's excellent article called The 20-Pass Goal That Offers a Glimpse of Palace's Future to Do So. I'm going to read an extract from it in a minute. But first of all, Jack, just give me your reaction to this goal that featured a touch from every single Palace player on the night. Yeah, and until it was kind of highlighted that it had done that, I haven't quite um, appreciated that it, that it had featured everybody. For me, it started with um, kind of Joel's marauding run from right back, but to have that interplay at the back first, Mark Gay uh, with a lovely piece of skill, which um, which he's kind of demonstrated a few times this season that he's he's got the ability to go beyond the, the press. Um, yeah, really, really lovely goal to, to, to watch the whole 50 seconds, I think it is, from uh, the moment for every player to touch. And uh, and, and really was the one time we went forward uh, in, in any sort of coherent <laughs> way. And uh, for it to, to finish the way it did was was great in it. And uh, uh, maybe we'll, we'll touch on in a minute whether, whether it is the best Palace goal. I know Dom thinks it was the, the best Palace team goal, um, but it's certainly up there. Um, and maybe for where it was, it, it possibly is. But yeah, great, great goal. Um, and uh, any goal that features all 11 is always a, a nice moment. And uh, I, I think... Uh, it, it, it was uh, it, it was a glimpse into the future. I think there's no doubt about it. I think that's um, a goal that we um, would be very certainly last season under Roy um, would be very unlikely to to 
to have had the opportunity to get the ball around the whole whole team. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether that's the, the plan every week to score such a perfect goal, um, but it's certainly uh, more on the lines of Vieira's idealism than perhaps, um, than perhaps Roy's. Right, well, I will come back to you, Jack, in a minute and ask you if you think it's the best ever team goal. JC, let me just read you a little bit from Dom's article. We talked about Joel Ward in part one, but obviously Joel was absolutely integral to this goal. And Dom says, it is unlikely Ward has ever really infiltrated the half space down the left before, not at least since his days as a standing left back under Pardew. This is uncharted territory, yet Hughes has faith and slips the ball, but beyond McAllister for the right back to accept on the half turn. For the first time all night, alarm bells now ringing in the home defence. I mean, it was a wonderful run from sort of lung bursting run from Joel across the pitch, giving the ball and then moving into space to do it. But in general, it was just a very weirdly out of uh, character goal on the night, considering how poor Palace were. But it was a very confidence filled goal with the touches from everyone. And as Jack says, hopefully a nod to the sort of way that Vieira wants us to play. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm like Jack as well. I think all of us didn't realise that every player touched the ball and actually where it started from. Again, I, I registered it when Joe Ward starts to run down the wing on a mission, uh, almost Pemberton-esque. But I guess for <laughs> Joe, Ward, Joe Ward, he was parting the sea, it felt like. He, he, he was a man on a mission. <laughs> Billy, like was it? He'd like yeah. that story. He would like yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought I'd put that in. But um, I think um, it's interesting when you look like well, we often don't see a goal like that from Palace, but it does take an element of a risk. And there was probably a couple of times, I think, or one time when Gehi had the ball and he was being closed down, but decided to do a sidestep rather than maybe doing a safe pass that would have broken the whole game. So he took a sidestep and kept the momentum going. Yeah, And maybe even Luca did it or Anderson did it. Um, so the, the it's it's quite interesting the equation or the ingredients needed for that type of goal. Someone has to take a risk um, somewhere, a dangerous risk, and that was probably Gahey's sidestep that he did. Um, and also, the, the, it was you know Patrick Vieira had one one good uh, substitute exchange with Luca and Matata uh, um, coming on, uh, and that changed that changed. I thought the game, I thought we looked a little bit more confident and solid. And that also influenced the 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 goal because Mateta was fantastic, instrumental also, uh, had yeah. two key touches that were very well um positioned. Um and also Luca there as well. So so yeah, I mean it was fantastic. I mean it was an incredible goal. And to do that against Brighton. Uh, also, you if you look on Twitter, you'll see non-palace fans referencing the goal now. Yeah. And making noise about it. And everyone goes, Oh, right, every player touched it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let's watch that. You know, it would be in any country, you know, any team in the world scored a goal with 11 players touching it, you would still you would watch it on Twitter. Yeah. I mean you know, uh, it would surely be in the uh, match the days. Um compilation for goal of the month for the thought although it's funny you talking there how mad it is that we're now talking about Mateta and Luca coming on and positively changing the game in our favor whereas in previous weeks that would have been unheard of on the podcast but such is the nature yeah. of uh, of Premier League um football speaking of the BBC Big Al Palace hello Big Al um, hi Big Al Hello, says, did I miss the BBC complimenting our team goal when all players touched the ball? Um, yeah, I think a few fans are disappointed that match the day Jack didn't quite give it. Uh, I mean, it was a classic. I've seen so many tweets being like, if that was Barcelona, they'd be talking about it for years to come. I mean, it was a very good goal, but um, we can't be relying on the BBC to do it justice. Well, this, we can this, do this, that is ourselves. The, this is the reason why, you know, 
the 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 TV license should be taken away and the BBC <laughs> should be put up on a thing and impaled through their backside. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it suffers from being a Friday night game. The match of the day very rarely gives yeah. any sort of uh, time to match that. Presumably they're running tight to time and, and need to get off before they put on whatever shocking film they put on after match of the day or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, it was glossed over. Um, and I didn't really think that Jonathan Pierce in the commentary for the highlights really gave it as much praise as it warranted um, and, and almost seemed disappointed that, that Brighton um, has conceded, dare I say. Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, who, who cares if, if Jonathan Pierce or uh, Alan Shearer didn't think it was worthy of, uh, of more praise? Um, Palace fans know that that was a great goal. And uh, Dom highlighting that all 11 players touched it and it was as good a team goal as it was um, will be uh, very much enjoyed by, by Palace fans. Um, also, just and, as and, worth... And, and just, just, sorry, just, just a nod no. to Dom, who I think worked on it until... Um, about four o'clock on, on Saturday morning. The, the labour of love that, that yeah. goes into these things. Uh, also just noting Gallagher, who I thought was just, again, a bit for most of the Millwall game, he wasn't really present, I felt. But um, his finish was exceptional because yeah. he he had literally, I think, maybe 30 centimetre gap yeah. or more, you know, just a bit more to get it when burn between burn and the post. And he sliced it. I mean, it was everything he did, how he connected with the ball was deliberate. Yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was a very, you know, it was a very smart finish. And actually he, he you see him uh, remove his shuffle, his feet into position. So when he gets the ball, he's actually sort of yeah. off balance and manages to do that in the split second um, and knock it. There was a finish well, of a player the, of a confident player on a good run. Well, uh, but yeah, what was actually really interesting and we could just quickly, uh, before the game, Patrick Vieira likened him to uh, Lampard. Yeah. Um, and then he scores the goal, which is in the box and a midfield player. And then he's being interviewed by, by Neville and Carragher afterwards. And all they're talking about is him being like Lampard. And I'm just wondering why it's got nothing to do with Palace, right? It's obviously kind of hyping up the Chelsea fans. I'm, I'm, I kind of, my hypothesis is, or my hot take is that it's this nurturing of our relationship with Chelsea. So we're just going to get first digs at the next (laughs) loanee coming through. We've already we've already said on this podcast. Next season, we'll be raving about Billy Gilmore, and we'll be we'll be wondering how much we're going to have to pay for Billy Gilmore at the end of the season. I've already um, ordered my shirt. So, yeah. <laughs> Gilmore twenty three. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Gilmore um, Let me before I ask you both if you think it's the best ever team goal, or whether you think there are any others that match up to it. Let me read you one more excerpt from Dom's article. Uh, he says there was one move constructed. This is early on in the article. Over fifty one glorious seconds, which involved twenty unchecked passes pinged merrily from front to back, splicing opponents apart in the process. And it was not concocted by Brighton. Amid all the huff and puff, it was that rat-a-tat midway through the second half which offered an insight into what Vieira is attempting to implement a tantalizing glimpse of promise for the future and to be honest probably the only highlight uh, in terms of Palace's approach of the game for us but let, let's Jack let's get your your thoughts let me read a question actually a few people have asked that question uh well first of all Mark Davis says can we start a petition oh hi Mark hi Mark can we start a petition to get a video of Friday Night's Goal playing on loop as a permanent exhibition in the Tate Modern? Many years from now, people will continue to flock from across the globe to see such a masterpiece. Uh, yes, if any of our listeners happen to work at the Tate, try and make that happen, please. Um, and Paulie Mantel has then asked what I'm about to ask you, Jack. What's Gallagher's goal? Hi, Paulie. What's Gallagher's goal against Brighton, the best team goal you've ever seen Palace score, Jack? Oh, um, uh, 
the more we talk about it, it probably is becoming it because I'm starting to think of where it was and uh, and and obviously my my love for Joel Ward is is uh, is very well known. So to see him so integral to it, um, so I, I I don't know if it is for, for me the goal um, at Anfield a couple of years ago in the four three defeat that um, Andros swept in um, may well be my preference for for team goal. Um, but I don't think every player touched it, and I don't think even ten players touched it. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it again. Um, but in, in terms of the gay high risk element of the move, that was Jimmy Jimmy Mack. Um, you know, kept the ball really nicely in the middle of the park, and then we we moved the ball really well, and then it ends up with Wilf skinning James Milner um, and putting the ball across really nicely for for Andros to tuck it away. Um, so maybe for the variety of player involved in this move and it not being our most potent attacking threat you know skinning a, a fullback maybe this goal does move above that one I'll have to give it some thought maybe in the uh, end of season analysis um, if there's time uh, we, we can talk about whether one if that's our goal of the season it's certainly a contender for goal of the season um, and two whether it still ranks as much but uh, yeah I think the, the 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 goal at Anfield probably is is yeah my preferred one still there's a lot Sorry, of elements John. Sorry, <laughs> um, JC, there's a lot of elements, isn't it? It's against Brighton. Every single player's touched it. Um, the Joel Ward run, the gay he swivel. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of elements, actually, that as Jack was talking now, I'm thinking it is moving up the rankings for me. I said on the post-match podcast that my favourite team goal from Palace is a goal against Norwich in 98 that Matt Janssen scored. It was a lovely move involving Lombardo and Svensson and, and Mullins. But that was only about five players that touched it. This is, I think yeah. this might be on, on another level. Oh, no, where, this... where is it for you? No, it's definitely on another level. I can't remember when when Steve Staunton was on loan um, at Palace, and I, this is I'm going to get shot down if I'm wrong here. But there was a goal where he made a tackle on the goal line, and this is where I'm going to get shot down. We or he was playing for another team <laughs> anyway. Scored, but I had this image that it was for, he when he was playing for Palace. I know he scored from the halfway line for Palace. Yes, against Cameron. Um, but there was one goal where it was from the the goal line that because <laughs> I think it was us. Um, but a, a goal was scored from the other at the other end, and that was. Well, shall we move. put it out? We'll put it out to our listeners. Put anyone, it out. Anyone Hel- remember uh, this it's goal? a helping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tweet and, us. And remember, tweet yeah, us. And listeners, to remember, I'm not part of the number one J team. I'm, I'm part <laughs> of the league. League de J. Um, I'm sure someone will remember it if it happened out there, and I'm sure someone will be sending us a, a YouTube link to it as we speak. Yeah. Uh, I'm so sure Jesse. I'm sure Jesse will find it and yeah. rub it in my, you know, rub my nose <laughs> well, in it. Just to echo, um, you know, a goal starting on the on the uh, on the goal line, whether it's for Palace or someone else, JC, who knows? But the the goal, um, the second goal against Norwich a few weeks ago. Um, again, didn't feature everybody, but was a yeah. really lovely transition through the pitch from defence to to attack. So to be scoring such goals um, so frequently, you know, two in how many league games is that? Two in three, three league games. games. Yeah, yeah, you know that that's really promising, and and that you know that just shows that that we are moving in a different direction and the right direction in terms of our playing style. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's a good sign, and 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 proof that the work that Vieira and the coaching staff are doing in the training ground is, is working. Can, can we just, on the point then, and it'd be, uh, it's been on my mind also with the Brighton game, Potter's had three seasons 
molding a, a style of play. Last season, it was frustration. They were playing like this, but weren't weren't scoring lots of goals. This season, it's 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 falling into place. Southampton, another similar team. You know, they've had three seasons with their with their coach developing developing so we saw how good they were against us so you know it, it's amazing really where we are um you know I, if, if we were to finish 12th 13th 14th i'd still be totally yeah oh, great happy with that I, I don't think it's about it's about staying in the league but it's not about for me positioning the table i think this is the signs are so exciting and and we're gonna make mistakes and we you know we need to make mistakes we need to get it wrong now and then as a means of being able to see and you know we've got a completely young manager who is our third choice manager he's got staff behind him we've got no exper- uh, premiership experience uh, in 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 coaching you know so it's right to talk about man management and selection and these things but it's it really is a learning where we're on a journey now and hopefully with the with the academy in place etc cetera, etc cetera, this journey is only going to be going forward Absolutely right. Speaking of going forward, we're going to do the same thing on the podcast now and take a quick break, but not before I mention that you can get all exclusive to uh, all access to exclusive stories ad free at theathletic.com slash FYP. That's theathletic.com slash FYP for 50% off an annual subscription. Uh, Right after the break, winners and losers. Experiences are what people love most about travel. With Viator, you can browse and book tours and activities so incredible you'll want to tell your friends. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. Viator has experiences in over 190 countries. There's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Viator lets you keep things flexible. Use Reserve Now and Pay Later to secure the activities you don't want to miss without being locked in. Whether you want to take a backstage tour of the Grand Old Opry, a Miami Bimini Bahamas day trip by ferry, or a private guided tour of the Grand Canyon, Viator is for you. Download the Viator app now and use Viator 10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. When I deployed, I didn't realize that even the air we were breathing was dangerous. Veterans like us are now eligible for new VA care and benefits based on when and where we served. Apply today. Visit va.gov PACT. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the 5 Plan Podcast. Uh, it's time for winners and losers. It's the part of the show where we split from our 
Legacy fans, aka the free version of the podcast, uh, with our patron subscribers. Um, so if you want to hear what, who our winners and losers are this week, uh, do go to patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash F Y P fanzine. F Y P podcast. Get the address right, Jim. Patreon.com slash F Y P podcast and sign up there. You'll also get post match podcasts every week. Um, and if you're now listening on the free feed, you will now hear a clip from this weekend's post match podcast instead. So let's make that split. Now, I guess we should, Dom, caveat all this with the fact that Palace are 11th in the table and we are in mid-January. So it's obviously not been a disaster with Vieira at all. Uh, But I think the in-game management does seem to be something that a lot of people are picking up on. And Chelsea's given a few examples there. And then we talked about it earlier on in the season as well. My own personal uh, point of view for last night was I thought Luca actually coming on made sense because... Palace were losing yeah, the game I, I in the middle of I wasn't, the park. No. Well, that was, uh, to be honest, sorry to interrupt, Jim. I don't disagree with that. In fact, I, I felt our midfield was a bit flimsy last night, lacking presence, you know, and it, it seemed to me that we probably had almost too many attacking players on the field at the start of the game. When you, When I can say to you that, that I think Will Hughes was even a forward at Derby in his in his in his youth in the youth team day. Jeffrey Slut was a striker. Conor Gallagher's a sort of attacking midfield player by trade. We didn't really have anyone to sort of sit and 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 do the sort of dirty work that sort of Czech Kiate's been very effective in doing for us of late. So I wasn't against that. And again, in terms of the substitutions, I'm not saying he shouldn't have made any substitutions, but I thought the substitution as far as the forwards go would be that you would bring Christian Benteke on in an attempt to give us a little bit more presence in the front line and you would use Edouard or Eze off the side of him. And uh, so you you effectively, I'm saying, you'd take off one of those two and still give you a dynamic two either side of the the big striker. But uh, it, for me, it, it it didn't work. And we ended up with no Elise, no Eze, no Edward on the pitch. Two physical front players. One who's uh, Benteke, who's not shown up very well, in fairness, at Millwall the week before and again last night. And Mateta, who doesn't hold the ball up particularly well in general. Um, but he's all right in attacking headers in the box, you know, when he's when he's coming on to them as such. So I just found it, you know, I, I just thought it was all very disjointed and 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 not great. Um, I do wonder, Dom, if um, I, I personally probably wouldn't start Eze at the moment. I I, I don't know for how that is sort of Eze management at the moment because he's sort of starting games but not not finishing them. I don't know. If, I don't know. They know more than me, but maybe it's better to not start them and bring him on. But but on the point of the in-game management and substitutions, is that something you've picked up on? Does it feel like a naivety from an inexperienced manager or is something more, something less to that? Well, you got any thoughts on that? I think he's a bit reactive. I think he certainly was reactive at Millwall the previous week where he just sensed that Palace had gone off the boil again after the little 15-minute burst from Elise um, and started making defensive substitute. Well, actually, he brought on Benteke and Edouard there, and I think he probably expected them to have more of an impact than they did for Mateta and Eze. Yeah. 
Um, and they they didn't. They were disjointed. He was screaming at them for long periods. They were making the same runs. We we discussed that last week. Mm. And and after that, it became a sort of let's cling on. And his idea of clinging on was to throw and throw more and more defensive minded players onto the pitch, which yeah, it ended up as a mismatch. And it would have been a disaster had they equalised, as Chelsea said. I've got a bit more sympathy at the Amex. A, a bit, a, a bit more, because I do agree with you. I think he, I think the original selection was wrong, and I was very surprised as I started. I would have, I would have thought there was a, a great call to start with Luka Milivojevic in this match, um, and maybe ask Hughes to play as an eight or, or even tweak the formation slightly to, to play the two sitters in, in the knowledge that that Brighton are going to to dominate the ball. Um, and then you you could put Schlupp on the left as an attacking player on the on the left side, and he he will offer a bit more industry as well, potentially going both ways. Um, I was I was even more surprised to see the team sheet having asked Vieira the previous day in his press conference uh, about this need of his to have more experienced players on the pitch, and he he, he brought it up in the broadcast section of the press conference voluntarily and said that we, we lack experience. Well. The team that he picked for a, uh, you know, the biggest game of of Pal- the biggest away game of Palace's Premier League season potentially, mm. was the youngest team that Palace had had in a Premier League fixture on average age since two thousand and five, and they had six players who were twenty three and under, and that's the youngest since Lombardo's first game in charge in nineteen ninety eight against which uh, against God, Villa, was, Villa, Villa away, yeah, stat, stat work that was, but I mean it's just it, it's. When Matt I mean, Anderson uh, scored an absolute blind. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, were, we were three nil down at half time, um, yeah. and and it had gone. And Ganson then scored the worldie. But it's to me there isn't much. I mean, look, he he, he can tell the media and muppets like me whatever he wants. It does. I mean, he doesn't have to tell us the truth, and he clearly is. He, he clearly. You know, fills the the time in press conferences, and and you know, sates our appetite with with words that don't necessarily you know it doesn't carry out on, on a match day that was our winners and losers if you want to hear those uh, and you just listened on the free feed and you heard a clip from the pod extra and you want, you want to hear that in full each week um, go to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash f-y-p podcast and i will say if you haven't just heard our winners and losers you're gonna want to because there's a there's a there's a good loser in there um right let's take uh, a quick break and when we come back we'll preview palace's game with liverpool It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. 
It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Uh, it's Pod Four One Three, I think, uh, and we are home to Liverpool on Sunday, Sunday the twenty third. Um, a difficult game, Jack. Uh, although I believe there'll be no Salah, will there? I don't think no Salah, no Mane, no uh, Salah, no Mane, no Cater. Right, but then in, on the flip side, we are also missing Wilf Kiate and Ayu as well. I mean, <laughs> arguably three players as important to us at the moment as those players are to Liverpool. So uh, it'd be different. Similar, so the same parts of the pitch, the the kind of left and right flanks of the front three, yeah. and um, a pivotal part of the the midfield three as well. So um, yeah, uh, quick mention actually, I, I, I watched parts of uh, Wilf's very good first half performance for the Ivory Coast um, against Sierra Leone on. on uh, on Sunday, he he looked very sharp and, and laid on a very nice assist for for Ivory Coast goal. So um, yeah, he he's having a good time out there. They're very likely to qualify for the knockout stages. So I think it's going to be a few weeks until we see um, until we see Wilf back. Um, but yeah, Liverpool. I think they they rolled Brentford over in terms of scoreline. Didn't play especially well, but still came out three 0 winners last time out. Um, so they're they're confident they, they've replaced Salah and Mano by bringing Firmino back and also um uh Minamino Minamino is a Motorola uh, <laughs> device you're yeah, showing your age there mate <laughs> yeah sorry I think that was my first mobile um yeah Minamino um who has shown glimpses but he's now getting a run and and, and I think he, he grabbed a goal um against Brentford so you know, Klopp will stick to his system, which will be a four-three-three and energy throughout the team. Um, you know, whoever turns up for them, it will be a difficult game for Palace. Um, but I think we'll we'll try and be positive. I, I think we'll Vieira will probably want to see. You know, I think Vieira will know that the last two performances, particularly the league game at Brighton, in terms of performance, was not where he would want his team to be at the level of. I think he he wants the the team playing. Better, and we've shown this season in many fixtures that we have more to show than than that. So uh, it's possible, and I, I say this having made you know very negative comments about Luca. Um, I, I think it's possible that Luca will come in at the base of midfield, yeah. um, and Will Hughes will push up. But then again, he you know he may stick with Schlupp um, to to kind of counter the energy um, that that Liverpool will have in the midfield. Um, and then centrally, I I think it's. 
certainly possible that Edouard will go back out to the left and, and Benteke or, or perhaps Mateta will start through the middle. So I think we'll see some changes. And as we said earlier, uh, the expectation will be that the Guaita comes back in between the sticks. So I don't know if I have any hopes to take anything from this game. It's always difficult to to predict that we'll pick anything up against one of the bigger and better teams in the league. But I'm, I'm certainly more hopeful than that we'll, we'll certainly put more of a performance in than we did in the uh, this, uh, fixture, same fixture of last season and the, uh, and say it quietly, the 7-0 home defeat. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, JC, I mean, I hope Palace do better than the, the 7-0 uh, last season. I'd be very surprised if we don't. What are you, as Jack said, it's very difficult in these kind of games. I remember when you previewed the Spurs game earlier in the season and obviously they're not as good as Liverpool and a lot more issues going on. But really with the, the top six teams coming, you can only really hope the team put in a good performance. But what are you hoping to see? Are there any elements from Palace on the pitch that you're hoping to see that are different from maybe the last few games in this game against Liverpool? Oh, that's that's quite a hard question. Um, I, what Jack said, I'm hoping to see that we get a little bit more of, um, kind of aggression in the midfield. So that's Luca coming in, which isn't necessarily the ideal option, but it's it's. I think we have to do we have to do that. Um, I'm not quite sure if, if we had IE whether or not he'd get much change out of Robinson or Roberts. Mm. Um, Robinson, yeah. Robinson. Sorry. Uh, so it'll be hoping to see Elise. Uh, and also Edward being able to do something on on the left and the right, I think is important. I'm like Jack, I'm not hopeful at all about this game. I'm not worried about it, but I'm not hopeful. I think if they played Henderson and Milner in the middle of the park, they'd still take us apart. Um, you know, I think that's just the reality of how good Liverpool are. I would personally play Benteke up front um, because I don't think Mateta will get much, if anything, with those two centre backs and Van Dyke. So I'm throwing in Benteke as just because he's got a bit more experience. He can also drop drop back, receive the ball. Is it maybe a little bit mobile outside the box than what Mateta is? If we do play Mateta, then we have to get balls into the box. And that's my main concern is where where are those crosses going to come in from? Yeah, I think we, it's... We, about, we, yeah, go on, Jack. Well, I was just going to say, we, we haven't mentioned him throughout the, the pod yet, but uh, for for me, um, Ebbs is is not really at the races yet yeah. in terms of starting Premier League games, and I'd be very surprised if he started this one. Um, I, I, especially the first half at, at the Amex, he he really seemed um, kind of off the pace, and he picked up a a yellow card, which kind of uh, symbolised exa- exactly where he is in terms of his recovery. His touch was slack, and he was slow to kind of get the tackle in and, and pulled the the. I think it was Veltman back and, and earned a very cheap yellow. So I'd be surprised if he was to start. But that's not to say um, that he can have an impact from the bench. And if it's close with, with you know, 20, 15 to go, that's the kind of player you'd like to see coming off the bench. So so I think it's unlikely we'll see him start, but um, it's it's good to see him still featuring the first team. And, and Vieira clearly wants him with the first team. He he wasn't part of the under-23 squad yesterday that we, we touched on earlier yeah. that Ferguson um, was part of. So... I think the coaching staff are seeing Vieira, uh, seeing Eze's uh, rehabilitation very much with the first team. And uh, if he can contribute from the bench on, on Sunday, that will be another positive step for him. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's been a game and I think it's a, a, a not Eze starting game. Um, and I think those are the changes that we'll, that we'll see. I think the midfield, I would personally play Luca, but I, I wonder if it might end up staying the same. But uh, Luca and Benteke coming in for me would be uh, would be ideal. But we will see what happens. 
And that's it for the end of this week's podcast. So, lads, thank JC, thanks for coming on. Always good to see you. Thank you, JD. And uh, Jack, uh, always good to see you as well. Thank you, JD. And uh, JC, uh, thanks for stepping up today. Thanks. No, I, hey, Jack, I just, I just feel like every single time I'm learning more and more and more. It's great. It really is great. Uh, uh, well, will JC feature in future episodes? Will he be back up to the first team? You'll just have to tune in yeah, to find exactly. out. Uh, anyway, lads, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners uh, and, of course, to our patrons as well for the support. Really appreciate that. We're back next week. Uh, reviewing that Liverpool game but in the meantime if you're at patreon.com forward slash FOP podcast you'll get a post-match pod from Sellers on Sunday with uh, Adam and Dom and Rob and maybe me as well so but in the meantime stay safe we'll see you again soon and uh, goodbye time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Podcast Network.